Hello, and welcome to this Solace Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solacechurch.com. Habakkuk, 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 whatever you, again, however you pronounce it. Chapter 1, let's read together. We're going to read Habakkuk 1. I'm reading out of the New King James Version down to chapter 2, verse 4. If you don't have that translation or Bible, the verses are going to be up here on the screen. Here's what it says. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife. And contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Verse 5 Look among the nations, this is God speaking now, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. A bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses, are, are, their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their, charges charge, their chargers charge ahead. This is a Dodge uh, commercial here, right? I'll keep reading. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. You see this beautiful Hebrew poetry describing the Chaldeans. Verse 9. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing power to his God. Habakkuk then responds to this. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? And holds your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he. Why do you make men like fish of the sea? Like creeping things that have no ruler over them. They, speaking of Babylon, the Chaldeans, take up all of them with a hook. And catch them in their net. And gather them in their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because by them their, share, their snare... Sorry, their share is sumptuous. That is a sentence. It says, and their food plentiful. They shall therefore empty their net and continue to slay the nations without pity. Chapter 2, we'll read four verses here. I will stand my watch, Habakkuk is speaking, and set myself on the rampart, the overlook of the city, and watch to see what he, God, will say to me. And what I will answer him when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. 
For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come and it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Uh, This is the word of God to which we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of your word this morning and for the minor prophet Habakkuk. God, there's so much that we can learn from this book, and I believe there's so much that you want to teach us today from this prophet. And so my prayer, God, is that you would use this time for your glory as I pray every week, that you would use it for your purposes. God, that you would take what I prepared and multiply it. I pray you would speak to us today. We invite your Holy Spirit to minister and to speak into our lives. So God, we invite you to do that today. We ask you to give us ears to hear what you want to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okie doke. The prophet Habakkuk. You know, each week, the way that we start our studies here in the Minor Prophets is we do a little background context to help us get an idea of where we're at and where we are headed. And just by reading that already, you could probably see that the book of Habakkuk is a little different, kind of in a unique category of its own compared to the other minor prophets that we've studied so far. But nonetheless, let's check out what we've called each week our prophet profile. Let me see if I can pull this up. Our prophet profile. Hey, oh, there it is. All right. So we ask four questions each week that help us get an idea of what we just read. This will give us just a basic understanding of the book of Habakkuk. First, what's the title? Let's start there. The title of the book of Habakkuk is, of course, Habakkuk. And we only know as much about this prophet as this book includes and and, uh, chooses to tell us. There's no other mention of Habakkuk outside of this book. But even just from this, we see there in verse 1 that uh, this book is the burden which, notice this, the prophet Habakkuk saw. So this is the first time we have um, a prophet being titled by his office in that way. This guy is a real professional prophet in Israel. We would say he's in full-time ministry. He's in vocational ministry as a prophet. So we know that about him. In the last uh, verse of this book, the last verse, we didn't read it, but it's in chapter 3, Habakkuk lets us know that he plays guitar, which is Cool. Thanks, Habakkuk. That's awesome to know that. I probably would be friends with you. I like guitar, too. He says, he talks about this, uh, he writes this song at the end, that's how he ends his book, and he says, for this to be played, uh, given to the chief musician, uh, played with my stringed instruments, okay? So he's a man of stringed instruments, okay? So we know that about Habakkuk. He's this musician prophet, and his name gives us a little more insight, usually, um, especially in uh, Israel's history, um, names were not just based upon what was cool and trendy and, you know, like what, what celebrities are naming their kids these days. Let's name our kid that, you know. Usually in that culture, it was based largely on destiny, on, on a prayer, on a legacy of the family and, and often given to identify uh, the calling and the life of the individual. And so Habakkuk helps us a little bit. His name is One who embraces. That's what his name means. We're going to see this journey that uh, we just read it, that Habakkuk goes on to embrace God in a greater way. So I think there's some 
uh, identity and even prophecy in that. Uh, his territory, if you can't read it, kind of the, or, or in other words, the place in which he resides and is fulfilling his ministry is the southern kingdom of Judah. So in that time, Israel uh, started as a whole nation, all 12, 12 tribes in one nation. Over time, got divided up into two. Ten of those tribes went north to what, what was called Israel the northern kingdom, and then you have two tribes in the south, that is the southern kingdom, um, and uh, that kind of segues us into the time frame. What is going on at the time of Habakkuk? So uh, from a lot of little clues in the book, it's, it, the book of Habakkuk was lightly, likely written between 612 and 607 BC, and here's the key detail. It's before the fall of Judah to Babylon. Now, there is just this heavy theme reading the prophets that can sort of exhaust us after a while, but it's this tough truth that God is a just and righteous judge. And so we have just kind of been in the thick of his judgment here in the prophets. God has just kind of given out these like just do um, righteous consequences to all people, all nations from Israel and beyond. And at this point, the northern kingdom has experienced their dose of judgment. They have become scattered, and all now that is left is this southern kingdom. And that is where um, uh, Habakkuk is living as a prophet. He's not a prophet uh, at this point. He's not a prophet in the good times. He's a prophet in the hard times. And, and what really makes this hard for him is, because, is that there was a time where he was a prophet, and things were really, really going good. Uh, it's likely that before this point, Habakkuk was serving under King Josiah, which was one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. He was a king who rediscovered the Bible. What a great idea for God's people to rediscover. Like, oh, God wrote a book. We should read it, you know? Like, that's what happened. And the, the, the rediscovery of the word of God brought revival among the people of God under King Josiah's leadership. And Habakkuk is likely a prophet in those times, maybe a young prophet. Well, he lives his life long enough to see God's word that was at one point at center stage start to start to take kind of like a side stage point in the history, and then eventually a backstage to where it's buried underground again, essentially. Uh, to where the nation at this point is just as broken and far from God as we could imagine it to be. A lot like, remember we studied Nineveh last week? A nation that experienced the steep decline in faith in 100 years. They went from the greatest revival in history to the whole nation being judged in their sin. Well, that's a lot like what's happened in Israel at this time. Uh, so you have, as he even describes their violence and idolatry and injustice. And there's Habakkuk as a prophet, which leads us to the task of this book, which is more unique than any other prophet we've read so far. Now, notice up there, I put a question mark. And the reason is because I don't know what Habakkuk's task was. Neither do you. It's not listed in here. Uh, typically, each prophet, in light of what's going on in the nation, uh, God sends them to communicate a certain message. Whether it's a message of, of, hey, come and repent, kind of conditional judgment. If you, if you repent and return to the Lord, I'll, I'll spare you. Or like absolute judgment, like, yeah, there's no hope. This is what's happening. But usually there's some kind of a prophetic message that the prophet is given. And certainly Habakkuk had that kind of ministry. That's what a prophet was. But what's interesting about the book of Habakkuk is it's not a monologue at all. Most of the prophets are written in that way. It's God's man with God's message, a prophet giving this monologue to the people. But did you notice in the verses that we read here in the beginning, you have instead of a monologue, you have a dialogue. You have a conversation between Habakkuk and God. 
This is really interesting. That's what, that's what we just read there. That's what's documented for us, is this long, drawn-out, in-depth conversation, again, between Habakkuk and the Lord. Um, th- this is interesting because, again, uh, most of the time the prophet kind of disappears, and the message is on full display. But what an interesting point here to say that God is not just concerned in our lives with what we do and what we have to say. That's certainly important. Okay? What we do and what we say matters. What we do and what we say has an effect. But God is ultimately concerned with who we are. And specifically, who we are in relationship to him. So in the book of Habakkuk, we see it's not just the prophecy. It's how's the prophet doing? It's not just the ministry, it's how's the minister. What, what a just simple, good question to ask yourself this morning. How are you doing? Like really, how are you doing as it, as it pertains to you and the Lord and your spiritual life? That, that's kind of what's happening here in Habakkuk. It's a focus on this prophet. Now, here's the major message that as we kind of segue to what we see as the theme of this book and this conversation that Habakkuk has with the Lord. The major message of this book, go ahead and write this down. This is the the big idea that we see in this dialogue between the prophet and God. Uh, We see the trustworthy nature of God's tested character. The trustworthy nature of God's tested character. If you could... Considering we don't have a, a task, if you could give at least a theme of the book of Habakkuk, it would be the theme of faith. Faith. That's what Habakkuk is wrestling with. That's what God is seeking to produce in Habakkuk. And that's what Habakkuk even calls the people to. Faith. Uh, we even read it there in chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, The just shall live by his Faith. Now, does this look familiar to you? This is a, a verse that is like one of, the, one of um, the major themes of most of Paul's sermons is this scripture right here. You have Romans 1.16 that talks about what the gospel is, the good news of God, and it's that the just shall live by faith. The idea is that we're not made right with God through our works, but we are justified, we are declared righteous through our faith in Jesus's Works. This is kind of Christianity 101, Gospel 101. We are justified by faith apart from works in the work of Christ. And so Paul uses this concept to expound on it a lot. You also see it in Hebrews and Galatians. And that's just kind of another fun study when you get into this sentence itself and how much is jam-packed into it. In Romans, Paul really focuses on the just side of things, like how we can be made, like how can someone like you and me, who is naturally unrighteous, who is perpetually unrighteous, how could any of us be declared righteous and just in the eyes of God? That's Paul's whole mission in Romans, and it's through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Uh, Then you get to Hebrews, and the theme is, is, uh, or Galatians, rather, the theme is live. The just shall live by faith. This idea that faith is not just meant to be this thing like, yeah, I believe that. Those are my beliefs. But it's like, no, what you truly believe is displayed most in how you live. And then you get to the book of Hebrews, which takes this verse and breaks it down in the realm of faith and and living that out and true belief. But but that's certainly the theme of this book. You can narrow it down to faith. That's the the goal. Now, I want to say, though, that though that's the theme, there's a specific kind of faith that Habakkuk speaks to. Not just any kind of faith, but a certain kind of faith. 
A faith that isn't surface level, but a faith that is deep, tried, tested, and true. Now, now we can back up for a second. We know that Hebrews 11 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is probably the first conclusion that anybody will walk away with after just a simple read-through of the Bible. If you read through the Bible, what you're going to see is that the God of the universe, he is pleased by human faith. He is pleased when we trust him, when we believe him. There's often kind of the story of scripture, the story of our lives is this wrestle where what I most want from God is understanding, but what God most wants from me is faith. You ever face that own wrestle in your own life? I want to know, I want to have all the answers, and God wants me to trust that he has all the answers, right? But that's, again, that's just the simple reading. It's, it's easy to conclude that the God of Scripture desires our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But it also must be said that not all faith, it's, without faith, you, you need faith to please God, but not all faith is the same. Or you could say that not all faith pleases God, the same way. There are different kinds of faith. Even Jesus, right, when he was on earth, did you notice his interactions with people, how he would sort of quantify their faith? He would be like, oh, you of un poco faith, okay? You of little faith. Or he'd be like, oh my goodness, look at your faith, right? You have great faith. And then there's a time where he goes, I have never seen faith like this in Israel. That's some faith right there. Right? He would quantify the degree of faith. You see, it's not just do you have faith, it's what's the quality of your faith? What's the kind of your faith? That's what Habakkuk is all about. And what you see in Scripture is this theme that God is concerned with the kind of our faith. We see this journey that Habakkuk goes on to sort of experience this transition from one kind of faith to another. I think where Habakkuk starts in his book is this place of sort of surface faith. Like faith that believes what I've been told. Faith that knows what I grew up hearing is true. Faith that can recite to you every other prophet's book. And, and, and faith that like has all the answers. But as, you, as we read there in this dialogue between Habakkuk and God, there's this journey that the Lord take, takes Habakkuk on for his faith to become more true. And, and the way that God often does that in our lives is through this thing called trial, Right? We know scripture teaches us this. It's James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So let's back up. God desires our faith. But he doesn't leave our faith the way he finds it, does he? He desires to grow our faith, to test our faith, to produce a greater sense of faith that's more pleasing to him. You also see this same principle shared in 1 Peter, where Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Why are those trials in my life? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you have this consistent theme where, where God is improving the quality of faith through trials. Now, uh, let's get specific when, with what we mean by trials and also what we see here in this book, Habakkuk. Uh, here is a, a kind of trial experience that we all find ourselves in where God is looking to produce a greater faith in us. You ever been here in life where 
what you're experiencing seems to be, be at odds with what you know to be true about God. You ever felt that way? You've been taught these things about God. You know them to be true, but there's sort of like this inability to reconcile what you know to be true about God with what you're walking through. Like, well, what about this circumstance? Now, that's exactly what Habakkuk is going through. And what's interesting is the way that God produces his faith in that time is not by Habakkuk shutting down himself emotionally, like suppressing how you feel, ignoring all your struggles and questions, and just powering through. Like, don't ask any questions, just believe this is true, right? I think for a lot of people, maybe that is their frustration with um, a, a lot of what's maybe wrongly communicated about the Christian faith, about the God of Scripture. Maybe this idea that the God of, of the Bible doesn't want you to think, he doesn't want, to ask, want you to ask any questions, he doesn't want you to struggle about the nature of life, he just wants you to be quiet and listen and believe it because he said so, without ever actually testing it. Now, you can do that, by the way. You can do that. You, you can, can adopt that, that sort of mindset, but your faith will only be as deep as your wrestle, right? Your faith will only be as, as strong as the quality of your journey to actually test the things that you've been taught. And so that's what Habakkuk is experiencing. He's experiencing this journey in life that's like, well, God, where are you? That's one of the questions. Next question is like, God, why would you allow that? And the last question is like, God, when are you actually going to do what you said you're going to do? I, I love this about Habakkuk. Um, it, it, it's written, as we read, a lot like a psalm in the Bible. The book of Psalms is very similar to this, where you have people bringing their complaints, bringing their struggles into the presence of God, which is, again, maybe a little foreign to us. Like a lot of us, we think that the presence of God is a place for me to bypass my emotions, like, here I am, I'm before God, I'm feeling all of these things and frustrations about life, but let me just put on a smile and sing the song, right? And don't get me wrong, right? Uh, we don't want to be dominated by our emotions, okay? God's worthiness of praise is not based on our feeling, right? It's based on his character and his own worthiness. But that doesn't mean that we bypass our emotions in the presence of God. In fact, in Scripture, what you see, especially in the Psalms, here in Habakkuk, the presence of God is not a place to bypass your emotions, but it's a place to process them. It's a place to bring them before God. I saw this, this great quote, and I couldn't find who actually said it, um, so I'll just say that I made it up. Um, just kidding. All right, but uh, here, here's what it says about complaining. It says this, complaining about God is a sin. But complaining to God is a psalm. I love that concept. Complaining about God. Oh, God, he's just, you know, kind of like scoffing. You don't want to be that. You don't want to complain to your friend about God. Okay, like he's another one of your friends. Like he's God. And he is good and he is worthy of words that promote his, his, his goodness and praise his character. But that doesn't mean that we're not invited to come before him with our complaints. In fact, that's the psalms. That's the book of Habakkuk. In fact, not only does God invite it, in Scripture we see that God actually encourages it. I love that. Isn't that awesome? God's not like, hey, I'm allowing you to come before me and share what you're wrestling with. I'm allowing you. Okay? I'll give you 10 seconds. That's all you get, though. Right? No, God actually says, come to me as you are, considering the fact that I know you and there's nothing you can hide from me. But come before me and be honest and real because what God most wants from us is not 
surface-level compliance. He wants heart-level intimacy. Not surface-level compliance. Okay, God, I'll be a good Christian. I'll keep all the rules and struggle with all these things. No, he wants heart-level intimacy and relationship. And that's what we see here as Habakkuk is coming before the Lord. Um, You see an intimacy that can only come through knowing that God loves you. And I think that's maybe where we get caught up sometimes. I think one of the main reasons why we aren't as honest with God as we need to be, like Habakkuk is here, why we aren't as raw with our complaints before God as he wants us to be, is um, we don't know that he accepts us as we are. We don't trust in his grace. And the truth is there's just not a security. I mean, think about it. In your life, the people that you are most honest with, you could trace that honesty to some security, right? Like, and I'm talking about like the best conversations. We all know that the best conversations are the most honest conversations. But you don't have those honest conversations with someone that you don't have the security of trust with. And a lot of times I think it's that way with us and the Lord. Yeah, I feel this, God, but, but if, I, if I say this, are you going to reject me? Are you going to push me away? And if you even look, if you look down at Habakkuk, we read it there. But notice as he's wrestling with these things, verse 12 of chapter 1, he's wrestling with these statements, and he uses this phrase, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. Now that's the foundation of Habakkuk coming to God in this raw way. That, that phrase, my God, he doesn't say God, the God, but that's covenantal language. When God appeared to Moses, he told Moses from that bush, he didn't say, I'm, I'm God, how's it going? He said, I am going to be your God. And you, my people. It speaks of secure relationship. And I just kind of have the visual for that. Uh, This is often how it plays out. You have the security of relationship, which comes through knowing the character of that person. Knowing that you can be who you really are. That leads us to that honesty component. Which ultimately leads to the intimacy that is intended for all relationships. Certainly for us, us and God. And so Habakkuk is a great example of that. As he is secure in his relationship with the Lord, knowing that it's all of grace, he's able to come before him in honesty, experience intimacy, and through that, his faith is produced in a deeper and greater way. Let's look at each of these things that we see Habakkuk wrestling with in God's presence. The first thing that Habakkuk wrestles with is faith in God's presence. And here's the first kind of circumstance It's when God seems absent. That's the first kind of struggle that he brings before God. I'm told that God is always with me. You ever been there? God is with me all the time. But when Habakkuk looks around him, it seems like that's not true. It seems like God is absent. Let's read this again, verse 2. Oh, Lord, notice what he says. How long shall I cry and you will not hear? In other words, God, are you there? God, where are you? I've been showing up here in this prayer closet now for years, and I've been doing a lot of praying, but I haven't been experiencing a lot of hearing. Where are you? I've been crying out to you. Uh, the, the prophet Habakkuk is looking around at, Israel, at Judah. rather. He's seeing the calamity of the nation. He, he's seeing the injustice, and he's like, God, do you not see what I'm seeing? Where are you? That's what he asks. He says, I even cry to you violence. God, look. Look what's happening amongst your people. And he says, and you will not save. Imagine being that honest with God. Like, God, you're not saving. It's like, that's where he's at with the Lord. 
He sees his circumstance and he's like, God, according to my circumstance, there's no evidence of your presence. He goes on to say, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? Reminds me of Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. I think he says the same thing to Gandalf the Great. God, why have you allowed me to see this? Do you even see it? Are you even aware of what's going on in my life? God, where are you? He talks about the plundering and the violence that are before him. Notice the nature of how broken things are in Israel. Therefore, the law is powerless. God, we know you gave your nation the law, your people, your law. It represented your moral absolute, your holy character. It represented your vision for your people gathered around you. But it was powerless if you look at what's going on around us. Now, here's what's funny. That's not a theologically true statement. Think about what he's saying. God, your word is powerless. That's what he just said. To, he said that to God, right? It's like, have you ever prayed that way? God, I come before you and the Bible doesn't work. Imagine being so secure in your relationship with God that you can, you can even bring your own theological fallacies before him. And you're just saying, this is God, this is how I feel. I'm just being honest. And we're going to see the important thing is to Move beyond how you feel. Your feelings shouldn't be the ultimate filter that determines what's true. That's why faith is built in those moments. But look at the honesty. He's coming before God going, where are you? He says, justice never goes forth. He looks around him. And again, it's just this, this honest question coming before God with this wrestle of, of faith. God, I know you promised to be with me, but you seem absent. Um, if you stick this thing out long enough, there are going to be seasons, many seasons, even prolonged seasons where this is like the only thing that's true. You ever been there? Like, God, I, when I first came to you and I gave my life to you and, and my eyes were open and I was wowed at the wonder of who you are and what you've done, I, you know, it was like I had enough joy in the tank, I thought, to get me through. And then life started to happen. And life got more complicated. And my priorities kind of maybe got out of whack for a season. And then here you are where you're like, I know God's true but, and that he's present, but I just don't feel it. God, where are you? Now, that's the first question that Habakkuk brings before the Lord's presence. And that is such a key question for us to bring before him as well. Especially if you're in a season right now where you just are, are really struggling, like Habakkuk, to embrace this truth. Maybe it's slipping through your fingers. And here's what God says to the prophet. Here's what he says to you and me. Notice his response in verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. So, so you see this prophet, this process that's happening. Habakkuk's faith is being built, not by him bypassing his emotions, but by processing how he's feeling, what he's struggling with. Because he wants what he knows about God to really be in his heart, something he really believes. But to get there, there are some barriers. There's like, God, I don't feel you in my life, so I'm coming before you. I'm being honest about what's going on. And God's like, okay. Now, as you come before me, I love this. God responds. Which, number one, the point here is that God's there, right? And God tells Habakkuk, hey, though it seems like I'm not doing something, you just wait. I have a plan in place. And I love what he says, I'm going to work a work in your days. He says, which you wouldn't even believe me if I told you. It's so epic. 
Like, you're not even going to believe what I'm going to do. So, so here's essentially what God says to the person that's saying, God, where are you? God says, I'm here. And I'm working. I'm working on it. But God, everything around me makes it seem like you're absent and that you're idle and that you don't see what's going on. Well, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, notice Hebrews 4.13. It says this, There is no creature hidden from God's sight, and all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, this speaks into Habakkuk's struggle because he's like looking at the violence, and he's like, God, there is just a free-for-all of really messed up people doing whatever they want and getting away with it. And God's like, yeah, I know. I see it. But more than that, it's as if God's saying to Habakkuk, I see you. I'm here. I'm here. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the journey we've gone on with all three of our kids to get them to uh, sleep train, sleep training. I got to change the name to something else. Okay. It should be like the parents' sanity salvation is what it should be called. But sleep training, training our little troops for sleeping. It's nothing like that, Okay. It's sleep making, like go to bed, okay? Um, but uh, one of the biggest parts of sleep training is this point you get to with, with the, the young child where uh, you, you know for their own development, they've got to, part of, of any person's development is, is independence to some degree, right? Like, I think that's where I'm at right now with, some, with certainly Evie, like with her bike. Evie's hard because there's things that like, she, I wish she was dependent on me. So it's like frustrating that she's so independent. And then there's things that I'm like, I wish you could just do that. You know, like, come on, okay? So it's like that challenge as a parent, like kind of growing their, their rightful independence. There's things that they, that they need to learn to depend on you. And there's things that they got to learn to do themselves. And one of those things is going to sleep. Going to sleep. Going to sleep without me laying in the bed with you, without me singing a song to you, without me rocking you to bed. And the way that they learn that is by being left alone. I'm not giving you, by the way, expert parenting advice here. I'm not saying, I ha- I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying we got in the car and went out on a date. I'm not saying that either, okay? What you do is you have the monitor, that classic monitor, and you can see them, but they can't see you. And, and, and that's the interesting dilemma that's faced there. The way that they learn to put themselves to sleep is the separation anxiety that they have to feel in that moment where they've got to learn to, to do it themselves. And it's a hard thing as a parent. To, you just want to go in there and hold them. But it's a lesson that they're learning. But what a, a great picture of a lot of our own lives where maybe right now you are in the crib of your life. <laughs> and it's dark all around you. And it's crazy when you look at the screams of the kids. When they're, it's, it's as if you fully have, you might as well have gotten on a plane and gone to another state. I mean, they are convinced that you have fully abandoned them. It's Habakkuk. God, where are you? But though the child cannot see the parent, the parent is watching the child. We're, we're looking at the monitor, we're, and we, we're not going to let it go nine hours, okay? So like, but, but we know the process. We're, we're involved as a parent. And can I say... Um, You may not be able to see God, but God sees you. And that, listen, that's enough. Did you know that's enough? That's enough for your faith to trust. That despite what you feel, despite the seeming evidence of his absence, 
knowing that he sees you and you can't perfectly sense him can cause you to trust in a deeper way, in a deeper way that the knowledge of it does. It produces a greater faith. Now, I love the, the faith in his presence has to do with the fact that not only is he here, but he's working. That's what he told Habakkuk. I'm working. I'm not just here in a static sense. Um, right now in your life, if it feels like God is absent, you need to know he's present and he's up to something. He's working. He, t- he tells Habakkuk, I have a work to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of it. It's a work like we see also in our lives. Um, it, it's a work that, that God promises to do first, uh, to do for us. But it's a work that he also looks to do in us. Uh, Romans 8 captures this really well. Uh, this first promise. If, if right now you're like, God, where are you? I don't see you. Here's a great, just famous promise from God's word that we know, something we know. Maybe right now you're learning to know it in a deeper way, but we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. It was his idea to call you. It's his purpose that he has for you. So you can trust in knowing that he's working. Well, I don't see him. He's working. Didn't we just sing that? Even when I don't see it, you're working. That's the truth. He's working for you. All things together for the good. Now, what a lot of people fail to do, this happens a lot with the Bible, is read all the verses. There's a 29 as well. For whom he foreknew, this is the next verse. He promises to work for us, all things for the good. Anything bad is going to turn out for the good. But us whom he foreknew, he also predestined, notice this, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we're going through a hard time, and we're like, okay, I just need to know the promise that whatever's happening, God is ultimately going to turn it around for the good, but don't miss the next promise. That what you're going through has a purpose as well for what God is doing in you. What he's trying to work in you. You, are, you and I are those that he's called to be conformed to the image of his son. And it's through the trials that we walk through that God makes that come along a little further. The second thing that Habakkuk wrestles with is faith in God's... Here's another circumstance. How about faith in God's wisdom when he seems wrong? So first Habakkuk's like... God, I, I don't really know if I trust in your presence because you seem absent. And then God says, no, I'm here. I'm right here, and I'm up to something. I'm working. Trust me. And then, and then God says, don't worry, Habakkuk. I see what Israel's doing. And then as God describes the work to Habakkuk, Habakkuk is just kind of like eyes wide, mouth open, like that is not what I was expecting. God's like, don't worry, I'm going to take care of it, Habakkuk. I'm going to send, verse 6, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. This bitter and hasty nation, also known, a.k.a. the Babylonians. I'm going to send them, and I'm going to judge my people through them. Um, Habakkuk's like, what? God? Like, I wanted you to respond, but I didn't think that you would respond that Wait, you, you mean to tell me that you're going to judge the wickedness of Israel through the greater wickedness of a more evil nation? Shouldn't it be the other way, to, way around, right? Like, shouldn't we go and judge them? Now, this is where now Habakkuk is really starting to wrestle. And he starts to, this is interesting, he begins to appeal to God's character. Verse 12. Now, and this is, we're talking about being honest in God's presence, right? He says, are you not from everlasting O Lord, my God, my Holy One. Now, scholars have, have, have examined this verse and the tense in which it's written. Habakkuk is not praising God here. He's literally saying, 
sorry, God, I heard what you're going to say with the whole Babylonian thing, but he's like, but aren't you God from, I, I thought you were God from everlasting. Am I off there? I mean, think about the audacity to come before God and be like, oh God, I'm sorry, I thought you were good. Well, I guess I was wrong. Like, interesting. This is Habakkuk's honesty before God. He's, he's saying, God, how could you do that? Why would you do that? I don't understand how a God of great goodness could allow such great evil. The question of the ages, the wrestle of the human heart. Habakkuk asks, why? In verse 13, he says, aren't you of purer eyes than to behold evil? I I thought your eyes can't look upon evil, so how are you allowing this to happen? And then there it is, verse 14. Why are you going to make men like fish of the sea? He uses this poetic imagery to describe how Babylon's judgment of Israel is going to be like that of a fisherman. Which Babylon, we learn historically, actually did take off captains, or take off, uh, take out captives, that's the word, they probably had captains of their captives. I don't know. That might have been a thing. But he would actually lead them out in hooks. And so this is even prophetic, the way that they would, would lead them out. But it's this fishing imagery uh, to allow sort of the ransack that's going to happen of Babylon and Israel. And here's the question that Habakkuk asks. He says, why, God? Um, and, and I want you to know that you're allowed to ask that. In fact... Let's remember, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, in his lowest moment of pain and agony, he didn't say, this is being done so that, you know, all all that might be fulfilled. And I'm here as the Messiah hanging on the cross. And even though this is really hard, I I, I ultimately, it's fine. I, I know this is for God's purpose. Jesus on the cross quotes Psalm 22 and says, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? What an honest question. I don't know if you really have gotten to the place of of intimacy that God wants for you in your life if you've never had to ask him this question. Like if life's never made you go, God, um, if you are who you say you are, why did you let them die? Why didn't you heal them? Why did you let them make that decision? Why, why, why? Now, again, here's Habakkuk coming before the Lord in great honesty, appealing to God's character. Habakkuk is wrestling with God's wisdom here in allowing, I love that, wisdom. I just noticed that, by the way. I'm sure you guys have been seeing that the whole time. It's nothing like God's wisdom, you know? All right? But this is what Habakkuk's wrestling with. God's wisdom when he sees everything around him or when, when God seems wrong in his Decisions. I know we've all been there. I've been there where I'm like, God, this wasn't the right move. You know, they were supposed to be healed or they were supposed to be, that was supposed to be fixed. And what do you do? Well, we do what Habakkuk does. We take our hearts before the Lord. Now, I want, I want you to notice that um, though God welcomes and invites and encourages the question of why, he rarely ever answers it. He doesn't answer Habakkuk. Um, in fact, uh, what's really interesting is Habakkuk, it says there in verse 2, this is like a super emo moment. Moment. I love this. Habakkuk goes up, he stands his watch, he sets himself on the rampart with My Chemical Romance playing in the background. Like, he comes, I just picture it's nighttime, his hair is over his eyes, and it's like windy, and he's like, just wait. like God's not answering him. 
And, but he's, he's in this place of he's asking God why, and he's like, okay, God, I'm going to go up now on the highest building and wait for you to answer me. Now, what, what's really cool about this, about Emo Habakkuk, is that he's positioning himself for God to speak to him. I love that. So Habakkuk, he demands an explanation, but, but then he's just setting himself up to receive a revelation. God, whatever you want to say. So he goes up, he watches to see what I will say to me. I love this. This is such an awesome verse. And what I will answer when I'm corrected. <laughs> I love that. Okay. You, ever, you ever like know how much trouble you're in? That you're preparing your response to your correction? You're like, yeah, I know it was wrong. You're like going through it in your head. So, so Habakkuk is going up. He's like, I want to I hear from God. I'm asking him why. I'm demanding an explanation. But I'm setting myself up knowing that he's going to correct me. But I'm open to whatever he has to say to me. And then notice what God does. It says, and the Lord answered. Now God speaks to him. He asks God why. God responds. And he says, write the vision down and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. And what you have is the, from that is you have a vision that God gives Habakkuk concerning the nation of Israel. He gives five woes. Five woes. In other words, it's not like woe, like whoa. It's woes like whoa. All right? Like you're in trouble. Okay, so those five woes are all very specific behaviors that Israel is going to be judged for. That's the vision that he gives Israel. And then God promises to take care of Babylon as well. But notice, God speaks to him, but he doesn't give him the answer to his question. But there is a revelation that he receives, and I think that's really important. Um, I think oftentimes we want that explanation, and God wants to give us some kind of revelation of his character. God, why would you? And God says, I'm good. God, why would you allow this? I'm faithful. God, why didn't you stop them? I'm wise. And this is where Habakkuk is led in his wrestle, a deeper faith in God's wisdom, despite when God seems wrong, being led to ask that honest question. And then lastly, notice this with this vision. Uh, the last thing that Habakkuk wrestles with is faith in God's timing, lastly, when he seems late. So God says, I want you to write this vision down. It's going to be my judgment to the nations. I know you're asking the question, how long? When are you going to actually do it? When are you going to fulfill your promise? But God tells Habakkuk, the vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So this is where God is reminding Habakkuk that he's got much better timing than he does. But he, the prophet's struggling to see that. Because all, all, you know, it's like, it's a great, secure truth that God lives out of space and time. Like, that's awesome. Um, C.S. Lewis describes the mystery of that in a really creative way when he talks about a pilot that's, that's in a plane that's crashing. And that pilot has a short second to throw up a prayer to God. God, save me. And we got to be reminded that God doesn't have a second to think about the wisdom of whether or not he should you know, answer that prayer, Right? God in his wisdom. Isn't that crazy to think about? God's outside of space and time. So that, that question that's in a second, God has an eternity of counsel and wisdom to figure out if that's the best move. And that, that, that's great to know. The problem that we often face is the fact that we are within space and time. Space and time. What a struggle. Okay, those quantum physics, all right? The, the struggle of being within the timeline where I can only see what's happened and I cannot see Another second before me. And when Habakkuk looks in his history, he sees God making these promises, but he's struggling with how long he's had to wait for them. And God tells Habakkuk, there's an appointed time. 
What, what, what a great reminder of Ecclesiastes 3.1 that says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. This is wrestling with faith, a deeper faith in God's timing when he seems late, knowing that he has an impeccable ability to keep time. He's really good with timing. Maybe recently you have been really struggling in your faith because of how long you've been waiting for something. And what a great reminder to know that God, uh, as it's been almost in a cliche way said, but a great reminder that God, he's never early, he's never late, he's always on time. He's got an appointed time. That's what God tells Habakkuk. I got a set time for when this is going to be fulfilled, and you can trust in that. Look at the words of Psalm 27. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, now again, here's that major message of this book. As I invite the band to come up as we wrap up. Uh, The major message of this book is the trustworthy nature of God's tested character. The trustworthy nature of God's tested character. You see, God wants to produce a faith in our hearts that, that truly trusts in his character. The way that that faith is produced is that it's got to be tested. And part of us being tested in our trials is here's what's happening. We're testing God's character. We're coming before him and we're asking God, is this who you say you are? And what the book of Habakkuk reminds us is that God is And he's therefore worthy of our trust. Though he might seem absent, you can trust that he's present. Though he might seem wrong for his decision, he is infinitely wise. And his ways are higher than our ways. And though he might seem late, he's impeccable in his timing. Now now the best place that you can have this all centered in one is looking to an event in history where God put all three of these truths on full display by sending his son Jesus to hang upon a cross and on that cross absorb the full payment as the complete sufficient sacrifice for our biggest problem and that's our sin. Our sin that has fractured everything in our lives from our relationship with self, our relationship with each other, ultimately our relationship with God, that which was broken, God made right once and for all through the person of Jesus who went to a cross, he hung, he bled, he died. To certainly be a display of God's love for us, but also let's be reminded of this. If you struggle with God's presence in your life, you look to the cross and you see God couldn't be any closer than Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself, we'll see at Christmas, he's called Emmanuel, God with us. You know how close God is to you? The very sin that you're struggling with, he took upon himself. Can you be any closer than that? Well, maybe you're struggling with God's wisdom in your life and the things he's allowing, the things he's permitting, the things he's doing. And then you look at the cross and you go, yeah, isn't that what's foolishness to those who are perishing? I don't know if I would have done it that way. But oh, the mystery of the cross. It displays the riches of the wisdom of God. That God, contrary to the wisdom of man, saw it wise to save us through his son Jesus. To become for us the sin that we could never overcome on our own. And then as you think about timing, 
as you think about God's timing in your life and you're struggling to feel like God's on time because he seems late, uh, you, you look at, I love this verse in Romans chapter 8, where Paul reminds us that at just the right time, I love that, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You look at the cross and you see that God is perfect in his timing. So where in your life are you struggling with those truths? Number one, have you brought them to the Lord? Have you truly wrestled with them before him? Do you have that kind of security in your relationship with God to be as honest as you need to? And have you allowed it to produce a greater faith? You see, the Bible, it doesn't let us get off with one way or the other. The way that scripture calls us to relate to God is often a lot more honest than the modern religious person, right? Who just kind of bites their lip and goes for it. But the scripture also speaks to the secular person that lets their feelings determine everything. We see God's people still calls for faithfulness to trust in the goodness of God. And this is where Habakkuk ends. This beautiful song that Habakkuk is able to sing in light of what God has produced in his life. He says this, what a beautiful psalm. He says, though the fig tree may blossom, may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. There it is. Yet, he says, I love this, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He says, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like the deer's feet and he will make me walk on high hills. So he says, high heels, that's awesome. High hills is actually the right verse. So Habakkuk says, this is where my life's at. Around me there's barrenness, there's darkness, there's difficulty. And though all those things are true, what a great response. He says, yet, yet, maybe that's you today. Yet, will you choose to rejoice in the Lord? Will you choose to to find him as the joy of your life and your salvation? That's what Habakkuk encourages us to do. Let's stand together. Father, as we are now in your presence and just looking to invite your spirit to download these truths in a deeper way to our hearts, we ask that you would free us from this pressure and this tendency to perform before you that God, you would liberate us by the security of your grace and love to come to you with what's in our hearts. Watching how you lead us to a greater faith. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.